Hello and welcome to the Licensed to Queer podcast, where we're on a mission to uncover why James Bond appeals so much to LGBTQ plus people. Why not see 007 from a different angle? This podcast is a little bit of a break from Bond. Don't worry, normal Bond service will resume soon. But it started life because of James Bond. So if you go back to January 2022, I did a podcast with a director of a film which starred a gay James Bond character. And that film is called Jason Bend. So if you want to listen back to that episode first, great. But this this episode will make sense on its own. Um, Matt Carter, the director of that film, although to say he's just the director of his films is a massive understatement because he does so much more on them. His background is in visual effects, so he does lots of the visuals of the film, the editing, in fact, all of the post-production of his films is essentially him. He even writes the music. And in the case of his new film, which is what we're going to be talking about in this episode, he even sang the title song. So Matt's new film is In From The Side, which um, you could reductively describe, and we talk about this in the episode, as a, a gay rugby film. Because as far as we're aware, there haven't been any gay rugby films before. So this is really breaking new ground. But Matt's film is much more than that. And it's a really interesting take on a gay love story that avoids many of the usual tropes, many of which I love. So coming out and everything associated with that and homophobia, I love that. But as Matt and I talk about in some detail, this isn't really about those things. It's a love story that happens to be between two gay people who play rugby. And it's really interesting because of that. At the time of recording this conversation with Matt, and today's date is, he checks his watch, the 26th of September 2022, In From The Side is still on at UK cinemas. That is unheard of for an independent gay film. So I'd urge you to go and support independent film, always, and I particularly urge you to go and support queer film. But not just because you're showing your support, but because I know that you'll have a good time with this film. You might think I'm biased because I have had a conversation with Matt and we've been talking a little bit on and off since our original conversation back in January. But those who know me well know I say it like it is. And I don't say anything negative usually, but if I really don't like something, I just don't say anything at all. This film was a really, really positive experience. I enjoyed the whole thing from beginning to end, and I know you will too. If you do get a chance to go and see it in the cinema, then please take that opportunity. Or if you are listening to this a little bit later, and it's no longer on in the cinema, definitely check it out on streaming or physical media. And Matt gives the details of those releases in our conversation. Enjoy. I'm delighted to have back for a chat, director Matt Carter. How are you, Matt? Very good, thank you. How are you? I, I'm good, thanks. I imagine you're quite tired. Yes, I mean it's been a it's been a very roller coaster few weeks, really. <laughs> I can imagine. So last time we talked was, oh, I think it was back in the winter, January time, around that point. About so that time, we were, yeah. Yeah. So we were talking about the uh, a, a film you made very early in your career. Um, uh, and uh, which which caught my attention because it had a gay James Bond at its centre. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that, but also we talked about your first um, major feature. Is that how we're describing it? Because well, this is this is yeah. a, so Jason Ben was really a short, really. Yeah. It was it was under an hour. And I think this is a, a, a proper feature length. Well, you know, the two, two hours, 10 sort of type, you know, proper, proper lengthy movie. You know what, though? I didn't feel it was long at all. I didn't realise how long the film was going in. And I finally, you know, it was so exciting finally getting to watch this film after, what, nine months of 
talking to you about it and obviously it must be so exciting for you actually being released in cinemas yeah. finally um after going through the distribution what i imagine is a, a, a nightmare of getting things uh exhibited and distributed especially at the moment but uh it was yeah it was just so exciting to to actually uh watch it in the cinema and um i i just wanted to really kind of talk to you about some of the things that it it, it brought up um and uh and, and some of the things that we kind of touched on back in january um but particularly um i yeah I, especially all of its treatment of masculinity i thought was really interesting and i know that was kind of the crux of what we talked about last time and gay representation on screen mm -hmm. so yeah i'd really relish the opportunity and just as i was saying sorry um the in terms of the length of the film i I kind of uh, I can't remember what we got planned that day, but I was like, oh, I'll have plenty of time. And then I actually got I, I sat there through the whole of the end credits, as I always do in any film at the cinema. Thank you very much. One of the rare people who do. You should show respect to the filmmaker. Absolutely. by uh, there's, there's, um, I think that I think I'm quoting Submarine, the uh, Richard Aoudi film there. But I'm totally, totally down with that. Always sit to the end of the end credits of a movie in the cinema. And I looked at my watch and it was about 45 minutes later than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I found for, for a for a film of this kind, it's it's it it. it feels quite brave to almost have that running time because it it's is. it's kind of funny so i mean the runtime is kind of the most controversial thing about the film almost considering the subject matter and everything else like, it's the thing people talk about the most i mean um i do feel that it's some sort of bias i think that if you're an independent filmmaker it's like how dare you step one toe over the two hour mark whereas mm. you know the batman's allowed to be three hours long and no one bats an eyelid and so many films by sort of you know major directors like quentin tarantino or whatever you, you could maybe argue they've earned their their time to do that but I think there's a real kind of unfair treatment of, of you know, uh, telling a story that's slightly over two hours when, you know, everyone when they see the, sees the film says it doesn't feel like it's that long. And it's a dense story with a lot of themes. And the, mm -hmm. when I would say, to, you know, the critics love to go, oh, it could be trimmed down 20 minutes. And I sort of questioned that is, well, where would you cut? Because, you know, I, I, if someone has a good idea of what which scene, would you know, they'd be you know willing to remove, I'm all ears. Because I think we really tried to cut down as much as we could. But if you cut it any further, you kind of break the story. And I think that... You know, we're telling it is it's a big story with a lot of characters and it's it explores a lot of themes and that takes runtime. And I think, you know, really, if you think about it, I mean, it's lovely that you sat through the credits, but um, most people don't. So really, we're talking about two hours, 10. So it's 10 minutes over a sort of standard runtime. Um, and I think we sort of give the audience, you know, a good bang for their buck in terms of, you know, uh, telling a really good story in that time. And I think the pacing feels good. And yeah, but it's just it is funny that people often talk about the sort of the runtime as sort of some sort of controversial issue. But you know, it's what it is. I know that some people might have plans, like I did on that day, so you kind of have to look at the runtime. But um, and I'm I'm quite glad I didn't because otherwise you do kind of prepare yourself for a particular length of a film. Yeah. I've always thought actually some of my a lot of my favorite films are are really long, like three even four hours, and I always think the length of a film is you know it's the length it needs to be and i felt that that story definitely needed that length and if it was given shorter shrift you wouldn't have so much interesting exploration of some of the um some of the i don't want to say side characters because they're really important, yeah. but not the main not the protagonists so i thought that was really interesting and that was obviously without spoiling anything and it, before we go any further we're not going to spoil the ending of this but if you didn't have the development of those characters, it, you wouldn't feel as much as you do towards the protagonist. So yeah. I thought it was I thought it was perfectly paced for 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 what it's worth. It, it, it's funny because I mean most people say they feel the pacing works well. Uh, well, I say most people. It's funny how the audiences. Uh, this is this film is more than anything has taught me the difference between an audience's opinion and a professional critic's opinion because they're so different. Um, you know, audiences generally have the the sort of same opinion when they come out, and we've had so many hundreds of messages from people who, you know, uh, this film's really meant something to them, and it's been absolutely wonderful, you know, working on this for so long, and then hearing that kind of feedback. And then the professional critics love to do, talk about it at the runtime to say, oh, it could be cut down. You know, all have the same sort of opinions on things, and it's it's sort of interesting. But um, they also the crit the professional critics always say it would be nice if they expanded more on certain things. It's like, well, hang on a minute, do you want it to be shorter or longer? Because <laughs> you can't really have it. It's like sort of that standard the sort of client thing where can you make it you know uh, happen twice as fast but in, in double the time you think what, what? That, those two things kind of can't happen you know but it's yeah. just it's just funny really 
I was quite surprised when, again, I'm not going to spoil anything, but the film went to a diff- completely different location. Yeah. And I, th- I think that greatly expanded the scope of the film. And it's not something of, um, spe- you know, I don't want to put it into the, even if it counts as a genre category, but as a, a gay film, because, yeah. you know, I've got a whole shelf up there full of gay movies, about 40 or 50 of them. And they're, they are very different from one another. So I don't want to put it in that category, but when you think of that, you tend to think of films in one location or at least one city rather than kind of, you know, unless they are the 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 um, the bigger studio movies. But this did have more of that grander scale. Yeah, I think there's, I, I know which people speak you're referring to and yeah. without sort of spoiling it for anyone, you know, there is a sort of uh, about two thirds through as a departure for a sort of a good 20 minutes into something, into a different sort of territory. But I mean, I think for uh, for the sort of two protagonists, because you know, it's a, for for anyone you know, hasn't hasn't known anything about the film who's listening, it's essentially a love story about you know uh, two characters who are in relationships of their own that are dysfunctional, who find each other, and they both play for a gay men's rugby club. Um, and so obviously, a lot of the film it happens in this kind of this rugby world, and then we have a, a part where it we depart from that into a sort of different setting uh, before returning back to it, and it's very much a kind of. Um, for me, when I was writing with my co-writer Adam Silver, we kind of thought about it as a kind of, it is a slightly sort of fantasy esque, you know, part where these characters finally get to kind of be themselves in each other's company outside of this environment that we put them in for the whole film, and then they kind of get a taste of what a life together could be like, and then they're thrown back into back into the fire, so to speak. But I think you know, it is sort of it, it, that is it a divisive part of the film. I think a lot of people quite like it, but some people think it's a bit of a strange, you know, thing to do. But I, I, I stand by. I think it was a really interesting um, departure. It was a really nice sort of role reversal as well, you know, to explore a kind of different sport for a little bit of the film and to kind of, you know, invert the two characters. You know, one who's normally the confident sort of, you know, a sporting apt one, and suddenly that those roles are reversed. It's, it, it really helps to kind of burrow into their characters and to figure out who they are as people. And I think that is that section of the film is kind of integral to really, especially for Warren to, to underpin and kind of figure out who he is. I think it was one of the parts of the film that I could relate to the most personally. And there were lots of parts of this film, some of which I'm probably too shy to even kind of go through in too much detail um, about, but uh, I mean, I could just suffice it to say, I could totally relate to the dilemma of uh, should you commit to somebody who is, um, already involved um that's that's something that i can relate (laughs) to in my own life but also it is this idealized vision of what their life could be like in a sense and i experienced that when i was getting with the person who's now my husband um in some ways and then we would kind of have to go back to the pain of everyday reality where we couldn't be together so i think a lot of people will will connect with that part of the film by the way if you can hear a kind of noise in the background it's just starting chucking it down with rain on the skylight above me so anyone listening to this who is going what is that is that my speakers no it's it's just the rain and there's a lot of rain in your film so there's a lot of rain (laughs) artificial and and legitimate and sort of you know there's lots of yeah we we were lucky some days where it actually just rained and it was i think you know it's beautiful atmospheric when when you get things like that but i think the scene that you're referring to is uh, purely artificial rain that was the you know, the the most torturous day of shooting that we put the actors through, but you know they all bonded together. But um... I, I'm not sure if this was intentional or not. But as soon as I see rain and mud in a film, I immediately think of Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. <laughs> it's, it's, I love hearing the comparisons that people make for that, especially that scene. Um, I think the other one I heard the other day was it's the Battle of the Bastards. So, so you know, all that's missing is the clash of swords, really, in the and it you know that puts you in a medieval battle, but it's, it's everything but that. Um, but no, that was that was a. That was a good of a fun shoot day. So we're jumping around. I go back to what you were saying before. Yeah, sorry. Um, I, I, can't, my fault. I can't um, know. It's me. I tangent like nobody's business. So and I, and I chased you down that tangent. Um <laughs> I think, you know, there's there's so many different characters in the film. Um, and they all, you know, they're all very archetypal um in terms of, you know, we all know I think we when writing it, there's I think I've lived all those different sort of experiences from all the different characters, you know, in some form. And I think um because there's so much variety in the in the, the the characters that we kind of explore, I think it's you know people are going to see themselves in them in in various ways, and that's I think that's possibly why it's so relatable because you know we've all lived different things, and it's such a um, I'd like to say sort of honest portrayal of what I th- you know of gay men in a way that's non stereotypical, um, and I mean 
there's a and we, we've talked about this before, but you know, mm-hmm. with Jason Ben, the same with this, you know, one of the big guiding principles of this film, just like sort of the short film I did before, was there's no homophobia and there's no coming out storylines. And it's really important for me to to tell a story that departs from that because I think there's a lot of stories being told. Well, I might say most gay films are are about either homophobia or coming out. Mm-hmm. And that's not so that's not valid, but I just feel like it, it does weigh down the plot slightly when that's the sort of the core central conflict. Um, and just prevent you from really exploring much else. So, we'll, but when we free ourselves of that, suddenly you're kind of up for exploring the more interpersonal sort of dramas and some more interesting nuances of the gay experience that I think um, that was really exciting to kind of explore in this film. And you know, I think that also makes it sort of a bit more relatable generally because it's you know not everyone you know someone who's not gay necessarily will have to necessarily come out, but I think anyone can. Uh, could relate to some of the things that these characters go through because they're not it's not necessarily sort of you know gay or queer specific um but a lot of them have a very you know distinct gay flavor to them because it's you know you've got a large group of gay men there's going to be certain specific specifics you know surrounding that and i think we see a lot of comedies and stuff you know where we see a lot of characters who are sort of you know quite stereotypical and these are kind of what we try to write them as very authentic Mm. um you know, they're all out. They're all kind of comfortable. They're in an environment where they don't have to hide who they are, and then we get to see the other the other vulnerabilities laid bare. Um, and I think that was quite interesting. But yeah, like like you said, I think it makes it quite relatable to a lot of people. I think across the team, you do have quite a a spread of um, masculinities. Yeah. So I always think we should see that as a plural, and you do have. So the protagonists are probably towards the more traditional masculine uh, characters and then you've got other players who are not so much um so i think in a way you've created a way into the film for wherever you sit on that spectrum yourself um yeah i i i just think it's i think it's probably going to be relatable for a lot of people although i will be brutally honest Mm. the opening five minutes i was um well there's a moment in the opening five minutes where i was Uh repulsed so um, <laughs> whether that's something that's drawn from true life or not, but I'm not going to spoil so it. I, I, I've I've seen that happen for real. Oh, once only one. I mean, like, I've seen things around that happen, but that I've seen that happen once for real. And I remember thinking that it was kind of create such a crazy thing to witness that I thought I want to put that to film. Um, but no, I, th- I think also what's nice is that you know talk, talking about what you're saying about the spectrum of masculinities in the film. I'd say the character to which that thing which we're describing happens to, I'd say is probably one of the more kind of uh, openly kind of yeah. uh, fabulous kind of, you know, yeah. um, larger than life sort of maybe slightly more feminine kind of characters. Yeah. But the fact that we introduce him to the film in such a badass way, it kind of that that right from the off goes, right, we're breaking all stereotypes here. And we're, you know, yeah. we're, we're taking no prisoners in it because I think that's rugby. That's rugby all over. Like, you know, rugby accepts people from any body shape or any kind of, you know, where you, wherever you present on the, the masculinity spectrum, you know, and I think what's nice, what we try to explore with this is uh, a separation of, I guess, toughness and because you know rugby is a very physical sport mm-hmm. and i think there's a lot of uh um assumptions that that therefore it must be a very straight sport or a very kind of heteronormative thing and that you know the toughness or physicality is a also look you, know, you hear this a lot i mean it's banded around as it's toxically masculine and that's a phrase that you know makes my skin crawl when i hear it because it's so um misapplied in so many cases especially in this you know i think just because these characters are physically tough and do something that doesn't mean that they're any more masculine i think you need to kind of separate toughness from gendered behavior in some ways and i think you know you you, um and that's what's so great about rugby is it's really like you can you can you know fight hard on the pitch and doesn't matter how masculine or feminine you are and it really you know it accepts all body types and all sort of personalities um you know and i hope that we sort of you know portray that authentically in the film as well but it's very much showing that you know showing gay men playing this sort of very physical sport probably one of the most physical sports mm-hmm. but actually that it's it's completely unremarkable and that's nothing kind of like a lot of people go oh, that's a strange thing to put together you know gays and and uh, and, and rugby it's a very tough sport it's a well, why gays are tough why 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 would why wouldn't they you know it's a I, it, i'd, it, I'd it, go as far as to say gays are probably tougher than most straight men because let's probably be yeah We've probably had to toughen up, you know, emotionally or whatever. We some of us might be kind of more emotionally open and willing to talk about these things, but that's only because we've we've kind of had to really to survive. I think so, yeah. And I think it's you know it's definitely that's explored in the film. And I think, um, you know, I, I, I forgot what I was going to say now. <laughs> um, what were we saying? Um, 
No, yeah, about the sort of the, the different matter. Yeah, yeah, the game being tough. I think you know, there's a there's a lot of stereotypes around you know why game and not playing sport. And I think because we've had a lot of uh, you know, in in school and stuff, people had a bad time yeah. and they got put off from it. And I think it's it's a shame that you know a lot of people don't get into sport as an adult, um, you know, because they think it's just not for them. And I hope you know that's another big sort of thing. I hope the film sort of dispels is that actually you know, uh, gay gay men or you know or anyone who's queer really can play sport. Uh, even a you know tough sport like rugby, and that's pretty unremarkable. And it's not sort of, you know, we shouldn't be looking at that like that's an unusual thing, um, you know, because because it, it really isn't, you know. It, it's and I think um, we I've, I've, I've talked about some several interviews about sort of the masculinity thing, and the, mm. a lot of um, the especially especially the toxic masculinity element, because pe- I think my definition of what that means is some toxic masculine behavior is uh, resorting to physical violence yeah and uh like deliberately closing off your emotions like you know don't cry don't kind of you know mm-hmm. you can't show the weakness that sort of stuff and i don't think that's really pre- present in i can see why people maybe because rugby's physical that mm. that's that's a violence thing but it's it isn't really because it's it, there's a rugby has a real respect built into the culture you know you you tackle someone then help them off the, off the ground it's very much compartmentalized um sort of you know uh i'd say toughness or physical aggression it's not um violent really in the sense that it's you know you you're showing respect it's it's sportsmanship it's one of the most core values of rugby and i think um and there's not really many examples of what i'd say traditional toxic masculinity in the film if mm. anything you know the kind of the the i guess the more sort of gossipy bitchy backstabbing stuff it's kind of the antithesis of what we would consider as masculine behavior almost it's mm. kind of it's kind yeah. of how you know high school girls can treat each other a bit more do you know what i mean it's it's not really what you'd expect from kind of a toxically masculine you know, rugby, well, you, whatever you people think of that, but why I find it interesting is if people use that term a lot when they refer to stuff, you know, adjacent and uh, around the themes of the film, and I think that speaks volumes about um, the expectations and the stereotype, the, the biases that people hold more than the actual film itself. Mm. But it, it's it really interesting how it sparks conversations around this because that's kind of you know one of the reasons we wanted to make this to sort of break these stereotypes and start these conversations around these topics. Um, I think yeah. it's interesting that although it's so refreshing not to have a story where coming out or homophobia are front and center and the main narrative concerns clearly it's there in the background you know with some of the characters and some of their behaviors and we never really find well there's theories as to why one of the characters engages in self-destructive levels of drinking And so, you know, the character we've just been mostly talking about who commits that disgusting act in the first five minutes, (laughs) uh, trying not to trying not to act with too much revulsion here. But my first thought was, okay, is Matt trying to say that gay people can be just as disgusting as straight people? (laughs) I mean, I I don't think that that's in question. I think we definitely are. The answer is yes. I mean, yes, yes. But it's it's interesting we're saying about this topic of drinking in in that um because obviously rugby, there's a quite big drinking culture in the, in the game mm-hmm. as well. Um, and there's a sort of very thinly sort of uh, explored sort of storyline with one of the characters that sort of who has an, un, I wouldn't say he's an alcoholic, but he has an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Yes. And obviously in the environment of rugby, where there's a lot of drinking that happens, you know, mm-hmm. how those two things interplay. And um, you know, the actor who, who plays uh, the character's name Henry, he's brilliant. And, he, you know, he, I honestly, I kept saying to sort of the other producer, I think, I think he's drinking, you know, I think he's, he's, he's not acting. He's actually drunk, but he just, it was amazing at how well he portrayed, you know, inebriated, you know, his character when he's inebriated. It was just amazing, really. I mean, he could, then he'd snap out of it and he'd be completely sober and you think, oh, it, it's all just performance. But, um, but no, the, the vulnerabilities of what I think drives his character to, to drink. I mean, like you said, you know, I think rather than sort of saying it's sort of homophobia or coming out, I think uh, a more broader term that we, is, would probably be better for it is sort of trauma, and that yes. can be caused from many different things. Yes. Um, you know, his. I think he's uh, he's insecure, and again, insecurity can come from different things. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, it's it's hard to sort of you know tease apart what what has come from a history of sort of coming out and you know living in a in a world that you know doesn't accept you from just general insecurities but you know uh, these characters are living you know for the purpose of the film in a world with other gay characters where they aren't necessarily persecuted for their sexuality but they're you know picked on for other reasons and he's definitely picked on by one character in particular who kind yeah. of teases him but he also kind of you know he's a i think there's not a single character in the film who's innocent or who's awful they all do a mixture of good and bad things Very for various true. reasons but- yeah, and I think you know it's very non-judgmental in the sense that we try and sort of portray these characters as um, uh, 
as uh, very human. And I think, you know, especially the two protagonists, you know, essentially the story, you know, they're engaging in an adulterous affair. Mm. And I think, you know, a lot of people, when they watch the trailer, commented in the YouTube section saying, is this a film that's kind of endorsing, you know, infidelity? And it's like, well, watch the film first because, you know, they definitely get their comeuppance for it. But um, but at the same time, we also invite, you know, the audience to sympathize with these characters, even though they're committing, you know, uh, you know an act that you know, a lot of people sort of frown upon. But I think, you know, these are all human beings who make mistakes and learn from them. And I think we, if we just portray kind of morally virtuous characters on screen, mm. we end up with a sort of propaganda piece that no one really learns from. And I think all the best stories and, you know, the all sort of the myths of old, you know, they all have characters who do bad things and learn from them because that's, that that's what stories are. They're, they're sort of, mm. you know, they're more complex and they, they explore sort of deeper moral truths in a way. And also I think, you know, a lot, with a lot of these themes, I don't have the answers what I think, you know, is right and wrong with some of the stuff that we explore. So we very much, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm any kind of moral arbiter to kind of, you know, preach about these sorts of things. So the film very much displays the events and the audience can sort of make up their mind about a lot of these things. I think something that perhaps straight viewers of this film might um, view differently than, than gay viewers, although I don't know, is kind of the suggestion well, it's not even a, it's not really a suggestion of polyamory but there's um one of the characters in an open relationship and as i was watching i was like can i think of any other film where anything other than a monogamous relationship has been uh, has has been shown to be approved by filmmate i was really racking my brains really and i think it, it made me realise that, yeah, I just haven't seen that in many other movies. So is that something that you wanted to to get in there right from the outset? Yeah, I mean, I think so, in the sense that um, it's a huge part of the gay community. Mm. Like, I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, every couple at some point you know, has had a conversation about that. You know, it, it's, I mean, I I think that's not necessarily just, just uh, people in the gay community. I think, you mm. know. I mean, one of my friends got, uh, who's been married for years, she recently told me that you know, about sort of five years ago, she said, oh, we opened up our marriage. And I blew my mind because I was like, I didn't realize this is a thing that straight people did as well. You know, that, that having <laughs> open open marriages was, was a... And I said, it made me realize, oh, maybe I've just been quite closed-minded. This is actually something that is way more pervasive in society than we realize. It's just, it's so underdocumented in any of the, the sort of media or stories that we tell that actually we're just sort of locking away a huge part of relationships generally mm. but it's especially prominent in, and talked about in the gay community but it's very absent in a lot of the um the stories we tell about our community so you know I, it was a kind of i wanted to have you know mark the main character he is in an open relationship with specific rules which he breaks you know and that's he's not innocent either mm. and then you've got warren who's in a sort of monogamous relationship which also doesn't work either so uh the film very much tries to sort of say that neither is an optimal solution but neither's sort of bad either in the sense that yeah you know, monogamy has its problems but so does open relationships you know there is there is no one way to yeah. live your life and that, that you know it's different for every couple and every relationship and you know they both have their pitfalls absolutely um and i know that last time you uh last time we talked you said that to an extent um you know as a gay rugby player yourself this is drawing on some real life experience so um, it, it, I find it really, I, I write personally almost all the time and I always find that quite cathartic in a way or it helps yeah. me to kind of reappraise things from the past. So was there any of that going on with this film? I think definitely. I mean, in the sense that, you know, I've been involved now in inclusive rugby for about eight years, you know, both as a player, coach, referee and more, more coaching lately. But I played for you know a number of different clubs and against a number of different clubs and you hear so many stories in you know in in this community and this is what we call the IGR community, which is international gay rugby, because there's about sort of 120 different clubs around the world, and mm. you, you it's, it's a it's a much bigger world than I think people realise. You know, some people just think that it, this is a world made for the film, but actually, it's a real kind of thriving community that this kind of film is sort of representing. Um, but I mean, you know, I've I've lived through so many different things that I've done or things that uh, stories I've heard from my friends. So it's there's a lot of me in there. There's a lot of stories from other people that I've heard. It's, I've truly tried to make something that I think was representative of. If you've been involved in like a, a you know an inclusive rugby club, you'll watch this and go, oh, this is just what it's like. But it's not so specific to any one particular club or any one particular sort of you know story that um, that you know it's accessible to everyone in the sense that it's it, not generic is the wrong word, but I'd say it's like an archetype, you know, the, yeah. the fictional club in the film is constructed from elements of different clubs that I've known. And, 
you know, and and not just sort of you know inclusive clubs, but straight clubs. You know, the sort of the, the struggling with cash element of it. You know, where club you find a lot of rugby clubs don't have enough money, um, and they do have to make cuts in difficult places. And that's that's a sort of big subplot in the film as well. That you know is an existential threat to the sort of the B team that we follow because it's a club that has you know a very successful sort of A team that's been around for I'd say about sort of eight to ten years in you know in sort of the fictional world of the of the film, and they've become very successful. They've uh, you know they've they've broken these stereotypes. You know the the as if you're going to do a prequel of the film, it, it would be the kind of the the A team breaking the homophobia and the you know the and you know, being treated t- taken seriously. You know, fast forward to now where the film starts. You know this new B team of getting new players into the sport, but they're not very good and they you know, they mess around and they lose all the time. And this chairman is very worried about this threatening the reputation they have that they've this hard fought reputation of you know we're just as good. Um, and obviously, and then throw into the fact that they don't have enough money to fund everything. Then there's this constant threat of: do we just focus on the winning team, or do we focus on you know getting these people, you know, new people into the sport and the importance that that has? You know, that was very much a. There's a slightly sort of anti-elitist theme in the film. I'll be honest, you know, because I do think that clubs who focus too much on um, the elitism side of the sport sort of lose touch of. I think the real value that inclusive clubs have, which is to get gay men into, into sport. Because I think, you know, rugby is such an inclusive sport anyway. I mean, I know some people who, who you know, who are openly gay, who play in, you know, what we'd say conventional sort of straight clubs that aren't sort of, you know, purpose-built inclusive clubs without a problem, because that's the, the sport. It's it's so in, so welcoming to anyone. And if you're really good, there's many many clubs who welcome you with open arms, whereas there's not so many who, you know, will provide a sort of, a, you know, quote-unquote safe space to get into the sport for the first time if you're not an experienced player. So there's there's definitely themes of that in there as well, um, but um, I think I've gone off a tangent again. No, no, I, <laughs> I, no, I, 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 you know, gay rugby might be quite hard to finance. Is it fairly safe to say? That's uh, it, it's a, a sort of. Um, I mean, it depends. It depends on which you know. Every club has their own different sort of structure in the sense that yeah. you know, some some are council funded, some have to sort of you know find the grounds or fund everything themselves. You know, fund it through mem- through sort of membership fees, it's, but. Um, without sort of getting too much into the finance of how these things work, because it's probably the, one of the, the least interesting sort of subplots in the film. But um, I was interested, really, because How Hard a Sell was a film about gay rugby. Well, I didn't really have to sell it to anyone. I mean, apart from when it was, you know, when it was made. Yeah. Because, it, you know, in terms of funding, we very much had to fund this ourselves. Like, you know, like any sort of independent film, we, we didn't get sort of studio funding and we had to try and make this on a shoestring budget. But once we'd made the film, the product, you know, the story we told, I think, stood on its own. And we were so lucky that we had a great UK distributor, Verve Pictures, who, um, you know, believed in the film enough. And we've had, you know, really amazing cinema release now, you know, across the country and in Northern in, and in Ireland, Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland. Um, were they, you know, were which they, is just so, un, un, yeah. un, so un, un, you know, uh, uncommon for a film like ours, which mm. is, I think was, um, we're very lucky, but also it's a testament to the story, I think, that we told. I know that when marketing gay films, there's often a pressure to, um, well, let's be, be honest, them. Yeah. make them more gay by putting more topless men in them. Oh, you mean? Um, oh, yeah. Well, to make them appeal, they... appeal more to gay people rather than <laughs> rather than sort of trying to sort of straight wash it slightly so it appeals to a straighter audience. There's there's that as well. It works both. I mean, I know we talked last time with when Jason Bend was released on DVD, and you were passionate about it being a twelve, like it was a you know essentially a just about a family-friendly movie, you know, Roger yeah. Moore Bond film kind of level. But then to market it, the distributor um, put two short films on there, which had quite explicit gay sex scenes in, to raise the overall certificate of the DVD to an 18. Probably a sensible commercial move. Um, this film does have relatively explicit gay sex scenes, and I'm aware this is like a Roger Moore Bond film, a family-friendly podcast. So we're not going <laughs> to go into into the ins and outs, um, so to speak, too much. <laughs> <laughs> However, um, what I, I think what you said earlier really resonated with what we uh, what I'm saying about the sex scenes. It's that um, that I don't know, really obvious masculinity mixed with tenderness and i yeah. know that this has come up in the press recently um with some perhaps ill-judged comments from uh, an actor in a film who said that when it comes to gay sex on film it's just two men going at it and it's not tender um i would say that in from the side has that combination of um yeah. going at it and tenderness well, so I, mean, I, I think I always approach any kind of intimacy in a film as it has to serve the story. Yes. Otherwise, you're just you're just 
providing gratuitous fluff essentially to mm-hmm. sort of titillate and that's mm-hmm. i don't think you if you do that at any point in the film you know you're, you're heading down a, a poor narrative route um whereas you know the sex scene that we have in the film well there's sort of two is sort of two there's lots of bit moments where they sort of they you know it looks like they're back to have sex and we cut away or you know or, it, mm. or we see it enough to to get the gist of it but there's sort of a scene where we kind of dwell on it but um in the middle of the film but it's very much so it's a narrative function it's the point of no return it's these characters committing to each other um emotionally rather than just sort of physically and it was very important therefore to have that kind of that passion emotional passion for each other not just two men going at it um <laughs> you know how ridiculous because i think you know uh but also i think there's a there's a different bias in, against you know showing you know gay intimacy on screen and that that it, it, you know, historically as well you know that you would always get a worse rating if you showed gay sex than if you showed straight sex yeah and i think that's just quite it's i think it's quite progressive that actually we got a 15 certificate for mm-hmm. this film mm-hmm. and the most of that is really for the language because there's lots of sort of you know F, f's and blinds yes, and f's and you know, yes um but actually the the sex scenes i think are they're, they're quite they're I hesitate to say they're quite tasteful in the sense that i think no, they're, i think they're, they're tasteful i mean we tried to make them quite beautiful in the sense that you know we're watching two people who are in love with each other more mm-hmm. than just but also have that kind of carnal passion for each other because you have to have that kind of physical physicality to it as well. We shouldn't shy away from that because it's yeah. it's authentic. But um, I will just yeah. say though, I thought the sexiest moment involved a pair of socks. No, no, I know, I, I no just, spoiler. I know which bit, and that was a lovely moment actually. That, that was slightly unscripted in the sense that, well, I say you know, going back to to um, what another actor said recently in the press about um, you know. Uh, intimacy coordinators and you know that they remove the spontaneity which I, I think is a bit of a ridiculous thing to say but at the same time we did also didn't have an intimacy coordinator in this film but, but we what we did have was um you know we had a really good relationship uh, you know myself with the two actors and we talked through everything we do we basically did everything an intimacy, intimacy coordinator would do you know we we talked through, it was also very heavy choreographed it was you know the sex scene like anything is very much like a dance and i think people what you see on the final screen is very much not what you what you film it's it's very unsexy You're like okay right let's go back to position number one okay we'll go from here to here and that's that shot and it's it, it but but they what really sells it is is the actors you know they really make it look very kind of convincing but actually it's it's you're you're just like any scene you're just blocking out a scene and the movements you go from here to here um and you know as we were sort of blocking it out and sort of doing the rehearsals you know while you're fully clothed and just talking through it he thought oh, why don't i throw some sock the throw my socks at him and it's it's a, ni- a really nice little moment and and actually it, it it's those little sweet moments of like um showing these, these characters being comfortable around each other and being playful that actually really shows where the love can come through um and yeah, I, I know exactly which bit you mean, and it's it is really sweet. It's kind of like a little playful, sort of sexy moment. That um, yeah, that was actually not actually in the script, but the the rest of the sex scene actually is very very descriptive. You read the script, it's almost exactly what happens on screen, you know, beat for beat. Um, obviously, we edit it, you know, edit it around a bit, but all the actual events are completely described and then we're choreographed in that way. And like your previous film that we talked about, you also did the music for In from the Side. Yeah. So um, you, you're one of those irritatingly multi-talented people. Pat. <laughs> you know? Thank you very much. <laughs> um, damning with fake praise. Um, yes. And I, I thought that um, the piano melody in particular, there's obviously quite a lot of percussion in there, you know, yeah. to accompany. Uh, and I thought that 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 underscored the sort of, um, there's, there's an argument, isn't that that sport is kind of a sublimation of war. Um, no, I, I, I don't. I mean, I've yeah. often, I, a lot of interviews, I've said that actually, you know, I think that the, the match happens in the middle of the film because, you know, we we don't really to dwell on, on the rugby too much of the film because we're, it, it's you're asking a lot of the audience to try and sort of follow what is essentially quite a complicated sport, more, you know, more complicated than average. Yeah, I didn't um, have a clue. I yeah, but, you, but you kind of don't need to, yeah. really, in a sense. No, it, have, totally, totally. Yeah, you, you just, you, you like, but also on that, you know, that I made a lot of effort to make sure the rugby that's happening on screen is, is legitimate. And if yeah. you, for anyone who knows rugby, that they'll watch it and go, oh, that, that, yeah, this is all actually where rugby happening. So right. it kind of, it appeals to both people who have no understanding and people who have a very astute understanding of the, of the game. But the match in the middle, it, it is, you know, we focus very much on the characters and the mm-hmm. fate, you know, the, 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 what, you know, what they're going through. We see the emotion on their faces and stuff. It, it is like going, going to war. I think, um, there's very few things apart from going to war that are like going to war than going to a rugby match in really bad conditions. You're fighting with the same people. You're, you're, you know, it, it's physically demanding. You know, you're going to get hurt a little bit, um, but you kind of have to push through. You have to be brave. There's, there's a lot of commonalities there, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it is, it, it is 
yeah, I can see the sort of comparisons that people can make about you know it being warlike. And a thematic concern that I was really interested in because I've been writing about it recently is family. And again, I don't want to go into spoiler territory, but one of the character we do get to know one of the characters' families, um, like their 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 blood relations, and I found that sequence so powerful. But even more powerful was treating the rugby club as a family itself. So I think, a, I think that yeah. the if I had to sum up, I guess the 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 main theme of the film in probably one word, it's belonging. Mm. And maybe as a, as a second word would be family. Because mm. um, we explore families in lots of different ways in the film, literally in the sense that we meet Mark's yeah. sort of parents in the film. But we use the phrase rugby family quite a lot in the film as well. And I think, you know, you've got these group of men who all uh, sort of are almost a family in a sense. Um, you know, and like a family, not everyone gets along. And it's quite interesting to you know, put up with with people because they, they are a family in a sense. And that's what a rugby club is like as well. And then obviously we've got, um, I don't want to sort of spoil things, but there's a character who we very much infer in the film that he doesn't have a family and so there's lots of you know the rugby's sort of been become yeah. a stand-in or his relationship has become a sort of stand-in for that and there's lots of different depth levels of analysis you can look at in terms of the theme of family and belonging in the film and the the craving for that sense of belonging or community that we have and obviously it's had a cinema release when did you actually learn the in from the side was going to make it into cinemas because that's you know you hear all these stories of even massive studio movies having their releases cancelled indefinitely so mm. um was was that a certainty all along that it would make its a way into cinemas absolutely not i mean if, if i'm honest I, I when we were writing i thought this would be great you know we we, we maybe we could get in cinemas but in if, if i'm honest i never you know i never believed that we'd get a huge cinema release let alone you know the one that we actually had or have you know still going still it literally just had it uh, in a couple of venues they've just renewed it for another week or you know it's still halfway through its run really um and you know nothing's like that you know nothing is ever a certainty when even when you have a cinema run i've learned a lot about how cinema releases work having gone through this process you know because a film uh, will get re will get rebooked week on week depending if it sells and that's the same of a big blockbuster as well if you know if it, if it bombs in the first week no venue's going to keep it on um you know in the following week because they don't want to make a loss they'll bring in a film that will sell you know, because they're making money off of ticket sales. You know, they have no sort of allegiance to, you know, to any particular film. But um, we were very lucky. You know, I think we I can't remember when we found out that we had a cinema release, but we we um had a distributor who made an offer, uh, with the promise of a theatrical release. But and again, that was you know, they can't guarantee what it's going to be. And only when they started showing it to exhibitors and venues did we had the, you know, the response of actually we're going to get quite a lot of venues. I think that the the lot the biggest that it opened in was in previews, and I think that was in over ninety five venues across the country, um, which is crazy, <laughs> you know, uh, for for a little film like ours made on you know I, I'm not I'm not supposed to say how much, but let's let's say it's a very very small figure, um, you know, to to receive a cinema release, it, it was just a, it's just an absolute dream, and you know, as someone who you know you you go when you're a filmmaker and you want to make movies, you you don't go oh I can't wait to make a film that's going to appear on people's small screens at home on Netflix. You go I want to you know I want to have yeah. want to make a film that's going to be on the scene on the big screen. So the fact to actually have that sort of dream sort of fulfilled was just amazing, really. You know, absolute complete dream come true. Which are the parts when you've seen the film with audiences in screenings? Which are the parts which you enjoy seeing their reaction to the most? Probably the same ones that you could probably pick out. I mean, the ones that obviously get the biggest laughs, mm -hmm. um, which the without spoiling it, there's that section we were talking about. The, there's a certain character in that uh, certain familiar relation that always gets a huge response every Absolutely, time. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and that's always funny because I think because it, it, it's not a comedy as such. It's, it's very much a drama with elements of comedy peppered throughout. But I think because it's um, because the comedy comes out of nowhere. And it's quite sort of realistic in the sense it's, it doesn't break the tone of the film. It does get a huge laugh every time. So there's yeah, there's a couple of really nice comedy moments. But what I love when you watch it with a big audience is the moments of tension. You can literally feel the the muscles of the audience tightening up when the there's um uh there's the I'm trying to say this vaguely without spoiling it. There's a sort of New Year's Eve scene. Mm. There's, a certain, there's a certain oh no phone. yeah and 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 the way. In the script, it happens a little bit differently. It's actually how we ended up editing it in, in the final thing. But it, it, I went with that uh, sort of Alfred Hitchcock sort of approach of if you show the bomb under the table before the five-minute conversation, the audience will sweat for five minutes. Yeah. If you just show the bomb as it goes off, you have one minute of surprise or one second of surprise. So we very much showed the bomb early. 
so the audience kind of knew what was going to happen and then they just sit there sweating away is this going to is this really going to happen and you can feel the tension in the room and the gas and the kind of like the inhalations of breath and that's quite exciting to to sort of see that you know to get that kind of audience reaction from there's a couple of moments in the film like that 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 get a little kind of a sharp intake of breath which is always quite exciting and if people don't get a chance to see this at the cinema if people are listening to this in you know weeks or months or even years time is there any plan for uh, what do you know what the plan is for distribution in yep. via streaming or other media so uh i found out today the the uh, it'll be available on uh premium video on demand so so we can rent it essentially you know mm-hmm. download d- download rental um on the 17th of October and it'll be out on Blu-ray and DVD and on regular video on demand on the 28th of November. And that's for the UK. So in America, we've got a cinema release in the springtime. So spring 2023, um, bit of a delay, but you know, that's just the distributor picked it up. It felt that was a good sort of spot for it to go in. Um, it'll be out in Australia in cinemas um, as part of the British film festival um, in palace theaters there, I think in a couple of weeks. And in German-speaking territories and a number of European countries, it'll be having a cinema release in about a month's time as well. But the the exact date hasn't been confirmed yet. But um, but yeah, there'll be definitely if someone's watching this in a year's time, there'll be definitely ways to watch it streaming or DVD for sure. And that's good. You said there's a Blu-ray release because I love my physical media. If I was to turn my computer around there, I have the whole wall of thousands of Blu-rays and DVDs, and I find it irritating when there is no Blu-ray release. No, I, I pushed very hard to make sure we you know we. I, I actually had a conversation with the distributor yesterday saying, you know, I really like us to have a 4K streaming release as well because we've made, you know, we've got a 4K master of the film. You know, we took time to sort of make it look good in 4K. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but unfortunately, the 4K Blu-rays are a bit, there's a there's a sort of slight Hollywood cartel in, involved in getting those sort of sorted. Really? And there's a, there's a, you have to pay a, a quite high license fee to have that. Oh, wow. you know, it's all these annoying things that are completely unnecessary, but keep the Hollywood machine, they're very elitist. But yeah, so 4K Blu-rays, unfortunately not something we're going to have, but um, I'm hoping we're going to have a 4K streaming um, or sort of download option available soon. And I would implore people, if you do get the chance to see it on the big screen, it's um, it, it, very visually striking. The I was quite lucky. Um, sometimes you go to the cinema and the, the bulb is uh, not the brightest it could be and yeah. whatever. I think this one had been changed very recently and it was it was a brilliant exhibition of it, actually. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the, I, I always encourage people to go to see it at the big screen as well because they're literally watching a slightly different version of the film in the sense that the, you know, I took a lot of time to do the mm. uh, Dolby 5.1 mar- uh, sort mm-hmm. of, you know, a theatrical mix um which you you aren't going to get unless you watch that on Dol- on a Dolby system yeah because you're, at home you know you're just going to watch the stereo mix which is nice you know it's, it's it's fine but obviously on a 5.1 system with the surrounds you get a real you know you really feel like you're in in, in it and it sort of complements the picture and you only really get that in a cinema sort of um setup so yeah you know once if once out of cinemas that really will never be around again you know unless it's sort of screened again so yeah i, I would also sort of uh, echo what you're saying about trying to get people get sort of encourage people to to experience that on a big screen because it's a uh, you know we took a lot of time to make it an experience i suppose my final question is i don't know i always find it really irritating when people reduce a film down to i suppose we might call it an elevator pitch something like <laughs> that. but you know so um brokeback mountain is the gay cowboy movie well actually uh, technically as the writer pointed out it's the gay shepherd movie they're not cows they're sheep yeah that's true but I think that's probably the curse of being a trailblazer. I mean, having said that, there were lots of gay cowboy movies. I'm a massive fan of West- Westerns and extreme to masculinity and everything. So, you know, Broke Up Bounty was not the first film to do that, really. But it was the first kind of big film to make it that explicit. Unless I've missed one, and there's a couple of documentaries, yours is the first gay rugby movie. It's definitely yeah. the first one I've seen, or at least has received a... Uh, a, a wide release so how do you feel about being the director of the gay rugby movie i mean I, I, i'm very happy you know i'm very happy with the film that we made and you know i, I said to a lot to a lot of people who ask I, mean, I find it very strange that that it's not just a gay rugby film i can't really name many other rugby films mm. or stop i mean maybe invictus but i'd say that's more of a kind of a story of nelson mandela than anything else you know in south africa rather than the rugby itself the rugby's there you know there in the film but there's not many films that really explore rugby as a sport generally. And I, I just kept thinking, why has no one done this yet? Like, why why, why, is, why are we the first people to try to explore this material, you know? Um, 
but no, I, I very much if, if that's if that's the 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 something I've to pitch or the summary of the film, I'm I'm very proud to stand by that. Um, so if you want to catch the gay rugby movie, it's uh, it's, uh, it's that's not going on the poster. Um, then um, then it's still in cinemas at the moment. I would implore you to see, it, even if you have no interest in rugby whatsoever. Uh, I, I've got to admit, I was like um, a certain character. It would be a spoiler to mention it right at the end of the film, who's kind of clueless about the sport and he's having it explained to them by somebody else. I was like that person in turn, but whenever there's a rugby scene, I was focused on the characters and their emotions yeah. and their connections. You know, it was immaterial whether I knew what kind of kick it was or what I'm not even going to carry I on. I think that, that, that I think that the reason we kind of have that line in the film is that he is in somewhat a stand in for the audience at that point in the film. Mm. Where the, so the character says, you know, he one of the characters turns to another supporter and says, do you actually understand all, the, all of these rules? And she turns back and says, well, firstly, they're laws, not rules. And no, and I don't think anyone does. And it's somewhat true because, you know, as, as a rep, as someone who's, you know, I've done my, uh, world rugby laws exam for when i got my referee qualification and even then i was like bloody hell even i don't know all of these like it, it constantly is an evolving game and i really don't think it you know anyone really does understand all the tiny mechanics because that's why their laws they're interpretive that's you know there's, there's no definitive way right. to to govern rugby because it, it's so it's so messy and you have to kind of apply an interpretation to it um but we very much that's our cue to the audience to say it's it's that's that moment in sort of uh you know in austin powers where uh was i think i can't remember if it was the first one or the second one where there's a time there's the, yeah the time travel yeah. element he says um i can't you you'll you, you remember the line it's um uh just go with it or something he, no, breaks it, the ball, it, it, he? he says uh, uh i wouldn't worry about it too much austin oh, yeah. and turns the audience says and you shouldn't either yeah it's, it's very much that kind of you know just go with the story and we don't it's so non-specific to the and the few the few rare moments where it is, it's so signposted to the audience what's going on. I 100%. think you know one, one of the characters literally explains like the but it's so immaterial. It's all yeah, like you said, it's all about the characters really. So whether you do or don't like rugby, whether you're gay or not, you, you you're gonna get you're gonna enjoy this film. I think. Oh, I think yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> I I hope people will as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of the License to Queer podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Matt Carter as much as I enjoyed having it. And if you do have any thoughts on In From The Side after having seen it yourself, please do get in touch, comment on social media, Instagram and Twitter at License to Queer.